You like the Just Baseball show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never seen before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Tuesday, October 5th, just baseball show. There's not much to talk about, right? Pretty light episode. Yeah, we don't really have much to talk about, right? Arm, you got anything? Uh, usually we plan before these, but we just kind of just clicked record and we're gonna we're gonna add a little this one, right? Joking. Autumn. Uh, <laughs> Final day of the regular season is over. We are talking to you ahead of the American League wildcard game. That's the Red Sox and the Yankees tonight on ESPN. That's at 8 Eastern. And then tomorrow night on TBS at 8 Eastern, the NL wildcard game. That's the Cardinals and the Dodgers in L.A. And then we get into the AL and NLDS. So naturally, we're going to run through a wildcard preview. And we're going to kind of look back on what happened this regular season not really into the intricacies of you know what a player did or what a team did but overall trends that we saw in baseball through 162 but it took until 162 for a lot of this shit to get evened out and oh my god Sunday was amazing yes Sunday was flat out amazing I thought there would be more chaos than that than there was but it ended up just going with the Yankees and the Red Sox taking those last two games of the wild card blue jays and mariners unfortunately did not make it i know arm and i were at the bar hoping that the mariners could somehow figure their way in but no cigar huh i mean blue jays did what they could in that last game unfortunately scoring 10 extra runs doesn't help you anymore once it it all boils down to and that's why like i know 162 it feels like that a lot of the games don't matter uh in the thick of it but one of those games that the Blue Jays blew along the way and every team can have those games, but you got to think about it. I'm sure there's a Blue Jays fan listening right now and they could probably come up with a handful of games where uh, if it went one way or another, we're looking at a different situation. And that's why it's easy to say, okay, turn the page next ball game and you have to, to a degree, but it does kind of emphasize that when you wait a little bit too late and you try to make up for it at the end there and turn it up a notch, uh, sometimes it's hard to get going. It's not to say that the Jays did anything wrong, but I thought they they went into the year a little bit light on the pitching side, addressed it really well, had some guys break out, but it just seemed like it was a little too little too late. I think if this game went this season, excuse me, went another 30 games, I think the Jays are in comfortably. But unfortunately, it's not a 200 game season, or I would say fortunately, because that would be ridiculous. Game 162 in Toronto kind of felt like the last 
game of pool play during like a youth travel Didn't baseball it? tournament, right? Where you're just trying to up the run differential, <laughs> you up the offense and you got to sneak into that last playoff spot to play on Sunday and spend another night in the holiday Inn. like that's what the Jays were doing. Kind of same thing where if the season was extended, even by another week, I think Seattle could make that serious push because they were playing better baseball than anybody. The emotional high in Seattle with the Kyle Seeger thing. How about Mitch Hanniger on Saturday night in game 161? I mean, Seattle and T-Mobile Park, those were incredible environments. And I just, I'm, I'm kind of pissed that the Mariners didn't get in. I really was hoping to see the Mariners in, in a wild card game. And it stinks that the Mariners couldn't even win game 162. They ended up losing to the Angels that day. And the Yankees almost lost too. It was 0-0 against the Rays. And Aaron Judge had a walk-off single sort of in the end. Um, it was a little ground ball up the middle to score the last run. So the Yankees won. The Red Sox almost did lose to the Nationals. They came back down, what, 5-1, 5-0? It was 5-2. No, 5-2. The Nationals can hit left-handed pitching. And I knew that game was going to be a little bit troublesome for the Red Sox. The Nationals have an OPS near 800 against left-handed pitching this year. Weird that that team hits left-handers that well. And I was like, I don't know, plus 215 for the Washington Nationals against the Red Sox. That might be a good bet. But the Red Sox did end up winning it. Alex Verdugo with the big hit. And now we got Devers. Yankees Red Devers. Sox in Fenway. And I'm fired up. I know it's not the Cinderella story everyone hoped for, but consolation prize, Yankees, Red Sox, and Fenway is pretty good too. Yeah, was, I want to I back up Arum here. It was Devers. Verdugo had a big hit, but, I mean, Devers had two bombs, and he had that big tie-breaking bomb in the, what, that was the eighth inning? Is that the ninth? It was the eighth, I believe. Eighth. Or was it top of the ninth? We haven't done our research. What the hell? The but, reason, no, I knew it was Devers. The reason I didn't mention Devers is Devers is a Yankee killer. And I'm trying to keep his name out of my vocabulary. Oh, holy spin zone for holy tomorrow. Spin zone. No spin zones, <laughs> but it is. I just want to keep his name out of my out of my brain, please. If we could just not talk about Rafael Devers for the next couple of days, that'd be great. So, Arm, let's talk about how Rafi Devers just mashes baseballs. I yeah, mean, this guy's a freak. I mean, the Nationals bullpen too. You know, you knew they were going to fold at the end there. That was the thing. It's like I, I would have been all in on that pick. Just Tanner Rainey coming in to try and shut it down. It's not going to happen. Not going to uh, happen. And when you got a guy like Devers who's so clutch and comes through in big moments against any team, but especially the Yankees, uh, you knew he was going to come through there. Big two-run shot. And, I mean, people really don't give Devers enough credit, I feel like. I know Boston fans give him almost all the credit in the world, but I feel like outside of Boston, everyone knows Devers is good, but he's one of those guys where you look at the numbers – He's so young. You're like, wow, he's been doing this for this long already. Uh, it's it's pretty impressive. The Red Sox, though, they really limped to the finish line. I know they did what they needed to do, uh, but it was almost like despite the fact that they didn't play well. It, they had six easy games down the stretch of the Orioles and the Nationals and really had no business making the playoffs. I, I, if they played anybody decent, I really feel like they would have lost four of those six games, and they were really, really fortunate that they had uh, such an easy way down uh, the final six games. But what I will say is the Red Sox also put themselves in a great position to be able to struggle a little bit down the line and get away with it because of how dominant they were uh, through the middle of the season. And that matters too, uh, which is kind of like the, the converse of what I was saying about the Blue Jays. 
Right. We're going to talk about how these guys are trending once we get into the wild card thoughts. To wrap up that game on the West Coast between the Mariners and the Angels, it was Shohei Otani that led off the game with a solo shot. He put him behind the eight ball right away. Peter is wearing his Shohei shirt from Breaking T. What does it say? We believe, but they didn't actually make it. You've been on like this Shohei bender right now. You are looking at his season in hindsight, and you are in love. I'm in love, and we're going to talk about it later in our top five takeaways, so I don't want to get into it fully right now. But when you look at the full array, the full menu of what Shohei Otani can do, you realize that he's one of the best at every single facet of the game. And we posted a TikTok where I was going over all of these different areas where I think Shohei is at least top 20 or at least one of the best at, in that area. And there was a lot of pushback. A lot of people saying, oh, this guy had a better season, this guy had a better season. And I'm just replying in the comments. Oh, you like Barry Bonds? What was his ERA in 2004? Oh, you like Bob Gibson? What was his batting average? Just, I can't fathom the fact that this guy can do both while on top of it being one of the fastest players in baseball. But I'm going to get into it fully um, later in the episode. Yeah, Aram, what was your big takeaway from Sunday? Mine was Josh Van Meter with the walk-off bomb in uh, Phoenix to solidify that Baltimore gets the number one overall pick in 2022. I think that was my highlight, personally. That was big. (laughs) That was big. Nick Nick Fortes for the Marlins, homered. uh, Where were you? Fourth. (laughs) Where were you in Nick Fortes? fourth place for the Marlins. They avoid last. Fortes matches Jorge Alfaro's home run total on the season. Uh, and Fortes right. played about a dozen games. Uh, okay. So uh, also fun fact, Jorge Alfaro is the only player in major league baseball to commit an error at four different positions. Uh, I hate it here. Uh, but anyways, we'll get back to my takeaway from the last game. Honestly, one thing that stood out to me, and, and this is like no slight of Kyle Seager. He's had a fantastic career. Uh, I just didn't think I'd care about Kyle Seager's last game in Seattle at all. But when he walked off the field, I was like, damn, I did. Yeah. I felt that. I felt that. Like you could see his emotion. You're like, you know what? This guy was there for a while. He, 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 you know, at times it was like, Oh, this contract sucks, but he finished pretty strong. He hit a lot of bombs. He helped them stay relevant this year. And I mean, I just didn't think I was going to care. So that's all what I'm going to leave it at is I cared about Kyle Seager walking off the field. And and that was a huge unexpected result of game 162 for me. Okay. Three farewells that I want you guys to power rank from. (laughs) I cared the most to I cared the least Kyle Seager in Seattle, Ryan Zimmerman in Washington was, I was a little emotional about that. I teared up Carlos Correa. Who's going to voluntary voluntarily walk from Houston. He was pulled out of the game early and he got a standing ovation and like the curtain call and all that uh, before the Astros host at least two more games that Carlos Correa will play in one through three rank them. Well, you forgot one. You forgot one really important one. Lewis Brinson, most likely his last game in in Miami. (laughs) Um, you know, we were fortunate. We went to the game in New York, and I got to see Brinson's last homer in a Marlins uniform, most likely. Um, that was awesome. Magnara Sierra as well. His last game in Miami. But uh, I'd go I'd go Brinson honorable mention uh, okay. just because of what he Fair. represented, uh, you know, in that Yelich deal, an iconic move for the franchise. Um, Brinson. I would go Se- Seager's number one. Correa can kick rocks. I love Actually. Carlos Correa as a player, but my God, man, like he can suck he, it. He's such a, he's such a me guy. You know, like I, what I will say though is huge year for Correa. 
freaking balled out in a contract here. He's so damn good. I wrote an article about why he's a number one prospect or number one prospect. Jeez, I'm just such a prospect guy. Number one free agent going into this year. Uh, and I convinced Jack on the episode. I'm glad I did because he's only furthered my case here. But God, man, you, you have the right to walk. Uh, and I think, you know, Astros fans should be appreciative of what you did, kind of, even though you only played one, one season of 120 games or more. Give me the Seager number one, Zimmerman number two, even though Zimmerman is more impactful to the Nationals. I, I don't know. I don't know. There's something weird about Ryan Zimmerman. I don't know if it was like the, the way he handled the whole political sphere uh, when they won the World Series and just like pissing people off there. I feel like that's why he didn't get as much of a warm welcome uh, or a warm farewell. But Zimmerman, honestly, he's been on the Nationals as long as I can remember the Nationals existing. So uh, I'll give it a tie with Kyle Seeger there. And then Correa I, can kick rocks. Lewis Brinson three, actually. <laughs> I'm also going to put Lewis Brinson at three and I'm going to keep Correa off it. Uh, because he can suck it. I I want Zimmerman at two and I want Seeger at one. When you were talking about how long Zimmerman, it it really Zimmerman should be one because he was probably the more impactful player over his career, had a longer career. But with how the Mariners played this season and that emotional walk-off by Kyle Seeger at the end, I'm going with Kyle Seeger number one, even though I think I liked Ryan Zimmerman more. I'm going to go Zimmerman one because he is Mr. National and the yes. we're in a much worse. I just don't know why I don't care. Like, why don't I care? I, I want to see, I, I almost felt the opposite way. Like I was going to care more about Zimmerman than Seager. I ended up caring more about Seager, but I still feel like I should care about Zimmerman more. I, I, that's where I'm at. <laughs> see, I thought I was going to care more about Zimmerman and I did, but ever so slightly, the margin was not as large as I thought it was because Kyle Seeger had a sellout crowd and a high impact game for his last game. Right. So there was that emotional low of knowing you're not going to get into the postseason, And then he comes out and that's when the waterworks start to form versus the Nats. The writing was on the wall when they traded Scherzer and Trey Turner to Anaheim's or to uh, uh, Los Angeles. So. And this is um, this is a perfect segue into speaking about the wild card because we were talking about how good Rafi Dever is. I just I would just want to make sure we all know this that he had negative fifteen defensive runs saved this year. One of the worst defenders in baseball. Don't yeah. want I don't want the mojo getting out of whack where yeah. we where we start saying he's too good. Then he maybe listens to the podcast, gets all confident, and then kills the Yankees. We don't want yeah, that. He rakes. Rafi he's gonna Devers make a rakes. diving. Play, he's a decent bro. hitter. He's, he's gonna probably run. a Kyle Seager level hitter. He's going to rob Stanton on a 120 mile per hour, one hopper, sick yeah. play, win the game. That's what baseball Devers works, is right? winning it with the leather. Mark Everyone's going to talk about how bad he is defensively, and then he'll make an amazing defensive play. That's what play I'm saying. He's in, winning it with the leather. Wildcard game. That's what's going to happen. All right. You want to talk wildcard? Yeah, I want to talk wildcard. We got Yankees, Red Sox going on tomorrow. We have Garrett Cole facing Nate Eovaldi. Nate Eovaldi, the FIP leader in baseball, 279. The American League FIP leader, Nate Eovaldi. Does that mean he's winning the Cy Young? <laughs> no, but he will get Cy Young votes whether we like it or not. And so. I'd like to kind of give you the quick preview of if I was gambling on this game, what I'm looking for. I think that's a fun exercise. So what I like to look at, I like to look at a lot of splits, your home road splits. It doesn't really matter because there's a lot of momentum, but it's still an important thing to look at whether a pitcher 
is better on the road versus better at home. It actually matters. Tyler Malley, for example, I was betting on him a lot when he was on the road because he had a one eight nine ERA versus a five five ERA at home. Just massive discrepancies. You don't want to go with Tyler Malley at home. Similar to Nate Eovaldi. So at home, he has a three four seven ERA versus a four two one ERA on the road against the Yankees this year. Nate Evaldi has thrown six times, 34 innings, has given up 14 earned runs with a 371 ERA. So when you hear those numbers, they're not that, you know, they're not that crazy. But you hear he is better at home and is a 371 ERA against the Yankees. And from what you've seen from him recently, how well do you think Nate Evaldi is going to pitch against the Yankees? Yeah, I don't, those numbers for me don't invoke that much emotion because they seem very run-of-the-mill. I I can almost kind of throw those out. The way that I looked at it was through the bullpen's lens because the starting pitching matchup is Yavaldi and Garrett Cole, which we'll get right back into. But this is the nugget that I want to pull here because you look at the home road splits for starting pitchers often. I look at areas of the team that are trending well versus poorly. And I'm so fixated on bullpens in the postseason. They just... I think they're the biggest aspect of a team in the postseason. And the Red Sox, of the 10 teams in the postseason, the Red Sox are ninth out of those 10 in bullpen ERA. Granted, all 10 teams in the postseason rank in the top 15 in bullpen ERA. Only bullpen with a higher ERA among playoff teams is the Astros, but they're not in a high leverage situation like a wild card game. And the Yankees, as much as we like to make fun of their bad eggs in the bullpen, have a top five bullpen in baseball. So that's kind of where I see this matchup going. So when you, and what I was going to say, when you see uh, the reason why I'm going after the starting pitching matchup is in my opinion, starting pitching always has the biggest impact on the game. These guys are going to go five, six, seven innings. Will, will the bullpens play a huge factor in this game? Especially you guys are saying yes. I don't think either guy goes more than six. I think most both guys go five. I think they're they're going to grind it out. You have a short leash, and especially if you're if you're the Yanks, if Cole starts running into some trouble, yes, he's Garrett Cole, but you know he's not impervious to to running into trouble. Like I'm pulling him and I'm going to Clay Holmes like immediately and getting out of that jam and I'm going to you know you're figuring out how you're going to bridge that gap. It's it's. One of those where one game playoff, you can't get away with making one, leaving a guy in for one batter too long. You can't leave him in for, for two batters too long. That could be the difference of the ball game. So I, I see them both going five, and then it's going to be battle of the bullpens. And that's why I think for the Yankees, you just got to grind out Evaldi. Even if you don't jump on him, if you get him out by the fourth, by the fifth, uh, as long as you don't let him go six, I, I think that the Yankees are in the driver's seat because they're going to go to their best bullpen guy and then what, you know, th- then how are they going to bridge the gap to the ninth? Even if you're, you're trailing, if you're the Yanks, I-, I wouldn't feel out of it unless it's a blowout because really it's just one of those situations where the more guys that come out of the, the Red Sox bullpen, the higher chance that one of them is going to blow up because they're not that good. And the Yankees, I trust Holmes at this point. I trust Loisega at this point. Honestly, Chapman has looked really wishy-washy at times, but after that last outing, you know, I trust him uh, to, to at least be able to give me a good inning in this kind of situation, high adrenaline situation. I, I just don't think that the Red Sox will be able to keep up. 
the way that I'm kind of looking at the starting pitching matchup, I don't see Evaldi going longer than five. I think five is the max for Evaldi in the wild card game. For Cole, the way that I've got to view Garrett Cole now, and I've had to do it for the last year and a half, maybe even two, three years, right? Yes, he might win the Cy Young, but if he surrenders an eight-pitch walk and then a bloop shot single going the other way, he's a pitch away from allowing three runs. He's got an affinity for letting up home runs. If it's a solo shot, I don't care. I get worried if there are two on base, regardless of how many outs there are, Endeavors comes up or Verdugo comes up or maybe even Hunter Renfro or Schwarber for sure, right, against a right-hander. There are a lot of really dangerous bats in the Red Sox lineup and a lot of home run hitters against a home run allowing pitcher, which just scares the hell out of me. So I think if the Yankees can just run Yavaldi's pitch count up and get him into some high leverage situations in the first three, four innings and take his total from five to four, got a really good chance to win if the game is close and you get to the bullpen to start the fifth. I see what you're talking about, too, because Garrett Cole also has a 4.91 ERA against the Red Sox this season. It's not good. So if you're saying they're going to have to go to the bullpen early and the Yankees have a better bullpen, and I would say at this point overall, would you guys agree that the Yankees have a better offense than the Red Sox do? That's hard. I know. Depends on the day. Depends (laughs) on the day. I totally agree. So Jekyll and Hyde, but – I would say I just have so much more confidence in, in the Yankees being able to get to a Adam Adovino or a Matt Barnes or Darwinson Hernandez, right? Like they, they don't have Whitlock. He's, he's out, which that would have been a big difference maker for them. I just don't know how they, how they bridge that gap. And the thing is they're going to have to go to Adam Adovino. Like they don't have a choice uh, unless they really want to just throw anybody else out there. It's not really a good situation for them. And for that reason, I just think you got to grind out ABs. But the Yankees see uh, as many pitches per at bat as any team in baseball. So I think that approach is going to help them. Evaldi's a guy that is never going to pitch to contact that well. He never uh, keeps the pitch count in check. He, that's not really part of his game. And I think it's going to bode really well for the Yankees. And, and I think they'll really break through second, third time through the lineup. The best walking team in baseball against a pitcher that can lose command very easily. That's going to be very interesting. We'll see how many walks the Yankees take in the early goings against Uvalde. Yankees question for you, Pete. LeMayhew to the IL. Luis Heal looks like he's going to be joining the roster. Do you feel at all comfortable in throwing Luis Heal out there for two innings in a wild card game? No, not yet. Nestor, though. Nestor Cortez, absolutely. I actually hope they go from Garrett Cole directly to Nestor, unless Garrett Cole goes six, seven shutout innings. And I understand what you guys are saying, especially in baseball now. You know, you're going to play the matchups and you're going to your starting pitcher out there immediately. I get it. I get it. I get it. And it probably will happen. But if Garrett Cole goes five innings, Jack, we were talking about this, Nate Evaldi is in five innings and they have three or four hits, shutout innings. Maybe they have six or seven Ks. Are you not bringing them out there for the six? Are you not bringing them out there for the seventh? Are you just saying, let's go to the bullpen right now, especially if you're the Red Sox with that bullpen? Shortly. I would just like, if you could put someone on, like you're- So basically, but we're saying short leash, every single pitcher in the postseason, regardless of name, you're on a short leash. We're getting to the bullpen. Long leash for these starters through four, not long, medium leash, like Grande. Uh, and then it, it shortens to tall. Yeah, it shortens to like a shot of espresso in the fifth. And then after that, I mean, it's slight tug and you're out of there. As soon as one of these guys surrenders a leadoff base runner, 
or a man gets into scoring position in the sixth, they're done. They're yep. absolutely done. Shut it down. And the Yankees are now minus 120 favorites for tomorrow. What do you think about that line? Maybe some not gambling advice. What are we thinking? Are, are we making um, picks here or are we doing it at the end? We can make picks at the end. Yeah. I'm just saying, how does that feel? I think people know where Jack and I are at on this one, personally. I th- I, at least where I'm at. I think it's pretty clear where I'm at on this one. Let's um, just get after it then. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going Yankees. I, I'm, I'm going to side with the, with the better bullpen. Offense is generally a wash. And starters, obviously, Cole is, is better. Um, but even then, even if you said, like, okay, they'll both go five and give up two runs, if that's the worst-case scenario for the Yanks, that they match each other, then – I think it's going to be pretty easy for them to get to that Red Sox bullpen. Uh, the only way that, that, that I see the Red Sox winning is if Nate Eovaldi somehow goes six plus, and I'm willing to bet against that. Yeah. Me too. Back. Um, what do you think? God, it's hard. Like, I, I, think, I think the Red Sox, with how much they've been struggling and how the game doesn't really play into their favor, they might win this by five runs. <laughs> I know. That, God. That's just how baseball works, which sucks. But if I had to play this game out, if I had to just close my eyes and run a quick 10 second simulation through this game, I just really think it's coming down to Loizaga in the eighth inning versus Adovino in the eighth inning. And I know who I'm running with in the eighth <laughs> inning there. I Adovino. love Loizaga. I was just texting you yesterday, Pete, like Loizaga has got some gonads. I love that dude. Yeah. 99 cutting in on your hands slider slurve thing that moves five feet the dude is disgusting clay holmes 99 cutting in on your hands wandy peralta has been incredible and arm and i same bar situation roldis chapman comes in and arm goes he's gonna blow it isn't he and i go if he's throwing 99 miles an hour we're gonna have a great inning if his first pitch is 96 miles an hour he will get blown up that is what Chapman is. Chad Green, I still have faith in Chad Green, but like him. something scares me. Something scares me, but I like the Yankees bullpen going into it. I agree. I will be taking Yankees minus 120 unless something weird happens. The reason I was looking at those splits, like let's say Nate Evaldi had a 2-2 ERA in Fenway and a 5 ERA on the road or something like that. Or, or we looked at his ERA and I forgot the two and two thirds seven earned that he gave up. And really he had a two ERA against the Yankees. Maybe we consider Red Sox just because if Cole's got a four, nine, one ERA against the Red Sox and Evaldi is that good, but he isn't going Yankees. I think splits go out the window in a winner take all. I think splits go out the window. I, 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 like for me, I'm in a wild card game. Screw the home runs. Technically then anything could go out the window though. Anything no. can really go out the window except for, uh, I guess, a evaluation of bullpens. Except velocity. Yeah. It's kind of what I, I don't, I don't think we can throw those things out the window. Cause I think if we're throwing those things out the window, then we can pretty much throw anything out the window. Yeah. I, I just, for me, it's like home road splits in a one game winner take all. I, I'm looking it matters how well you pitch at home. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I, I mean, if Evaldi here, here, this is what I'll boil it down to for me. If Evaldi had dramatic home splits where he's dominant at Fenway, my bet wouldn't change. I'd still take the Yankees. And that's that, I guess, kind of just boils down my perception on it. 
With the Yankees and Red Sox, they're always playing in front of close to full capacity crowds, regardless of if it's a a rainy Tuesday or a Saturday at seven o'clock and everybody's loving it. The difference here is going to be you've got the most emotionally invested Fenway crowd that has existed in a long time. So how are you going to manage that? Yavaldi, we know it has a little bit of psychopath in him. He's great. And that's awesome. So I think that he's going to feed off of that, much like how we've seen Walker Bueller feed off of that, much like how we've seen Max Scherzer feed off of that, which we will talk about in just a moment. But I think Uvalde can feed off the home crowd. I also think Garrett Cole has some subdued psychopath in him. And oh, yeah. he loves this villain role. I think he could come in and be such an asshole guest at Fenway. And I think he could shove. This is the start where he proves he's the second best pitcher in baseball. Yeah. If he does, if he shoves it down their throat and the Yankees win, Garrett Cole, undisputed second best pitcher in baseball to Jacob DeGrom. Until Bieber comes back next year. Let's say he gets crushed. Then do we have a conversation about Shane Bieber, about Corbin Burns, about Walker Bueller? Kind of like, okay, Garrett Cole might be in that range. Not in the undisputed second to DeGrom type category that I think we all think he's in now. Pete, we're having that conversation right now. If Bieber and Cole hit the open market at the same time, who gets paid more money? Well, Bieber's younger. I, I mean, like, that's not really fair. I think Corbin Burns is there at that point. At this point, like, yeah. I, I really think that conversation is more than open now uh, about who the number two pitcher in baseball could be right now. I, I don't know if it's that clearly Cole and uh, you know Cole and Degrom at this point. I, I think Cole has kind of made it clear that. He's not on that Degrom level, and he's kind of with the rest. But we'd of like, the I'd like to see Burns because if we're talking about best pitchers in baseball, we're not just doing the top ten right now, but best. We're looking at a bigger sample size than Corbin Burns had a great twenty twenty, and one of the best twenty twenty ones ever. But just hasn't done it for that long. We haven't seen him shove in the playoffs like we saw Garrett Cole do with Houston in twenty nineteen. That sort of thing. That's what I was saying. Over the yeah. past few years, it's been Garrett Cole and Degrom's year, Degrom's you know league. Now I'm thinking Garrett Cole. Might win the sound, but might not. Then if he has a bad wild card, we have another discussion. Real quick, before we move on to the National League, we're on milestone watch. The Yankees' eighth strikeout as a lineup on Tuesday, which is going to happen. They will strike out eight times, I promise. They're going to hit 1,500 strikeouts as a team for the year. (laughs) Fifth team to get there this year. And just the second playoff team, who's the only team in the postseason who has struck out more as a lineup than the New York Yankees? The Braves? Nope. I'm going to go with the Astros. Tampa. Mm. What? Ah, yeah, they do strike out a crap load. Interesting. Yeah. How about that, right? Tampa, bad team. Tampa, great team. <laughs> Such a good team. Oh Best God. offense in baseball. Strike yeah. out so often. Okay, let's get into the NL wild card, which is on Wednesday night. It's at 8 p.m. Eastern. It's on TBS. You've got, what, Brian Anderson, Ron Darling, and Lauren Shahadi. That's going to be awesome. I love oh, Brian Anderson and Ron Darling, man. They're so good. Um, it's, and Shahadi's fun, too. I'm excited for that. Oh, she's great. Yeah, I mean, you got to also – PSA, tonight you have to go the StatCast broadcast on ESPN2. Jason Benetti, Eduardo Perez, Mike Petriello over Matty V, A-Rod. 
Buster. I mean, you have to go ESPN too. I think Matty V, A-Rod, and Buster do a good job. Does A-Rod say some dumb shit every now and again? Yes, he does. But I think Matty V is, and we've talked about this, Aram, like he is the baseball guy. I think he's great at this stuff. Buster kind is great. I kind of want to be Matt Vaskurgeon when I grow up. Yeah. That's kind of, I love that dude. Yeah. No, he's, he's great. He talks about baseball all day, every day. Let's talk Adam Wainwright versus Max Scherzer. St. Louis Cardinals versus Los Angeles Dodgers. The Los Angeles Dodgers open as a minus 215 favorite. They are huge favorites. And Adam Wainwright, when I was talking about home road splits, Adam Wainwright has been phenomenal this year. Age 40 years old, he was born in 1981. 3.05 ERA, great overall season. Will probably not win the NL Cy Young, but had a great year. 2.74 ERA at home, but he's not at home. He's on the road where he has a 3.58 ERA. And against the Dodgers this year, he has a 4.32 ERA. Eight and a third, four earned runs against the Dodgers this year. Jack's looking at me and be like, I don't care. Throw it out the window, winner take all. Yeah, Aram, do you care? Absolutely not. Why does that not matter to you guys? Eight Why innings? does it not matter? It Eight, matter? It's one swing of the bat for run. Like if if one ball doesn't leave the yard and it's caught up at the wall and instead of the two run shot, it's two earned runs in eight innings. Now is ERA spectacular. Like I, I just, to me, it just doesn't really matter. Yeah. I was more talking about maybe not against the daughters, but to the fact that he is a little bit worse on the road. Listen, especially with these guys. I don't care about sample size in 2021. It's Adam Wainwright and Max Scherzer. And, and that's that. That's all I have to know about this matchup. Uh, and I have a little bit more confidence in Max Scherzer than I do Wainwright, but I've got a ton of confidence in Wayno. I would not have had any confidence if you asked me on April 15th, but here we are on October 5th. And I'm saying that Adam Wainwright is the man, still the man. I, this game can shake out a bunch of ways and arm and I were, were playing fake manager here and we were scripting out if we could script out the perfect pitching sequence for St. Louis and for the Dodgers. How do you do it? Arm, what's the gist of how you went about it? Yeah. So for me again, with Wayno, of course, that's the guy you're going to, but short leash, like short, short leash for Wayno. Uh, when he starts running into trouble, you, you got to pull him. I think you got to go to your best guy and your best guy. If you really feel confident in what you've seen from him is Jack Flaherty, Jack Flaherty in a piggyback role. See what you can get. Can you get two innings out of Flaherty? And then it's figure it the hell out. You go matchups, you go lefty, you know, Gallegos on the lefties, you go with whatever you can do. But I think that the number one thing I'm doing is, if I get four out of Wayno, I'm happy. If I get five out of Wayno, I'm thrilled. I hope that Flaherty can give me two. That gets me to the last couple innings I need. And what you really want, obviously, is that the offense uh, you know, puts up a five spot. That's not out of the question, given that Scherzer's looked human uh, over the last couple starts, which he hasn't looked human since the trade up till that point. Um, so I'm looking at, you know, if you're, if you're the Cardinals, you're hoping you can keep them with three runs or under, and you're hoping that you can scrape for four. Okay. Real quick, Peter, I know you hate that. I know you hate the idea of going to Flaherty explain. So I don't hate the idea and it's probably going to happen, but me personally, I am trying to stay away from Jack Flaherty as much as possible. 
I want Jack Flaherty to be available for game one to start game one rather than have anything to do with the wild card game. And I understand sometimes you just throw everything at the bucket and it's like, we got to win. I just don't know how well that sets them up for a potential series. But saying that, saying that I understand is Jack Flaherty actually better of an option than maybe Alex Reyes for five outs, Giovanni Gallegos for five routes, Henesis Cabrera. They have a lot of arms in the back of that bullpen. My thing is, I don't think they have to go to Flaherty immediately when their bullpen is that strong. And then they're able to set Jack Flaherty up for game one, because if you just throw Jack Flaherty, Adam Wainwright, all your guys, and then you have John Lester or Woodford starting game one, you're pretty much done at that point in a, in a five game series. You're pretty much done. I, that's, that's just my take. And I'm not saying that they're going to do it, but I think they should stay away from Jack Flaherty as much as possible. Yeah. I'm, I'm playing point guard right now. Aram, why are you saying they got to get there? They got to get there because I think I'm in your boat too. There is no series. If they lose this, there's no series. You got a game plan for. I, and we're also assuming that Flaherty can be stretched out. I don't even think he can be stretched out that much. Like he's only gone in relief so far since returning. You're just going to like wheel him out into five innings. I think that's no, entirely I, I think risky in, start in game so, one, four innings in game one. I don't even think he can stretch to four. I, I think he's probably going two. Um, I mean, it, we, we, we haven't even seen him go more than one inning since returning. Uh, he was dominant in that one inning uh, when we last saw him yesterday where he went one, two, three inning, two strikeouts. Like, I, I think you're pushing it to try to stretch him out, take the bird in hand. He's shown that he's comfortable going in relief, give you those two innings. I have zero confidence in Alex Reyes going more than three outs. The guy averages 6.5 walks per nine innings. I, I, I That guy makes me nervous even on a, on a three-out save. Uh, mm-hmm. But you got to go to him in the ninth. Uh, Gallegos, I like a lot. But again, I think you play the matchups with Cabrera and Gallegos. And, and go from there. But I don't see how you bridge that gap from Wainwright to the back end of the bullpen without Flaherty in the middle, given what this Cardinals team has. And e- even if you somehow squeeze it out, saving Flaherty in his three max four innings for the next series, I don't think it's that much of a difference maker versus like, let's get there and find a way and, and hope that our offense propels us like it did for 17, for a 17 game win streak. I, I think you, you really got to just get there against baseball's most explosive team uh, in the Dodgers. And just to, just to add on to that quickly, I, my thinking is, is Jack Flaherty in that situation, a better option than another high leverage reliever that they have that will allow them to use Jack Flaherty in game one. That's kind of my point. Flaherty's 25 years old. I think he's already proved that he is an ace. I love Jack Flaherty. Right. That shows me mental fortitude. That shows me wild card reliever fortitude. So with Flaherty, I'm actually kind of willing to stretch him out more than that inning, Aram. I'm ready to see him go as long as three. You say two. I say three. I need seven from Wainwright and Flaherty. If there is a high leverage situation in there where you have to make a mid-inning change, I feel comfortable in Henesis Cabrera there, regardless of handedness, I think more so than Gallegos. I want Gallegos with a clean eighth. I want Alex Reyes with a clean ninth. I'm willing to see Gallego go, Gallegos go four outs. I'm willing to see Alex Reyes go five outs, maybe even Me six too. outs, because he does have long reliever stamina. Mm-hmm. Alex Reyes was brought up as a starter. He can go two innings. Hasn't done it this year. He has done it a little bit this year. He has done it a little bit. Right. Yeah. But, you know, Reyes can do it. He can get six outs. 
and that's been a stud, man. I mean, he has been the guy. They found their closer. They found their Swiss Army knife. What sucks here is even as recently as last year, I see a high leverage situation and I'm ready to turn to Andrew Miller. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's dead weight. He's just dead weight right now, which sucks. That I loved Andrew Miller at the peak of his powers. Nobody touched that slider. When but the if, Indians would bring him on as that Swiss Army knife, no one was hitting him, and it was game over. You know those things when you guys are talking about throwing maybe uh, some splits out the window when we go to wild card? I almost kind of throw regular season out the window when it comes to Andrew Miller and the, Andrew Miller in the playoffs. Wow. I got confidence that if you stuck him in against a lefty in a big out, maybe against a Bellinger in a big out, that you'll get him out. That he'll I think I'll get Bellinger out in a big spot. Miller. Yeah, I, I think I could get Bellinger out in a wild card game. Yeah. Uh, no, but you're right. I, I like there's a level of me that's like, screw it. I'd go. To yeah, Miller, like screw but it. Then he gives up a bomb, <laughs> and you're like, what am I doing? Why did I do that? Like, what was I thinking? But no, I'm I'm with you. Like, there's a level of me that I'm curious to see what they do. One other thing I want to mention because I'm sure there's like Cardinals fans screaming at their phone right now. Like, what about Cody Whitley? What about Cody Whitley? He's good. Cody, he's been spectacular, and that they might be confident in him. I, like, this is a bullpen that is so. Uh, just mysterious uh, and, and unproven mysterious. <laughs> that you might have to have the confidence in Cody Whitley, who, by the way, 11 and two thirds scoreless innings consecutively now, 16 Ks and just four walks. So this is somebody that's hot. You might have to ride the hot hand like this. I'm really excited to see how Mike Schultz decides to go with this because you're in a tough spot, like in every way imaginable. Um, this is not the most exciting bullpen in the world. I'm very eager to see how he pieces it together. Uh, but I, I think Cody Whitley's got to be in the fold there too. Okay, now let's play the Dodgers side. Are you oh, riding yeah, Scherzer for as long as he possibly can? Not after what we've seen the last couple outings. See, I guess I'm in the old school boat of I would like to ride Scherzer as long as I can. Maybe if I can get six innings out of him. But what most likely will happen is that they're going to throw him five innings. And I think that they'll stick to five innings. And then who I think they can come in afterwards. I mean, Tony Gonsolin has been really, really solid this year. Um, they have still have Blake Trine and they still have Kenley Jansen. You could throw even is David Price still around throwing pitches. He's throwing some pitches. I think. He's throwing pitches. They got, they seem to have plenty of guys. I'm just not that worried about the Dodgers. I think they will end up winning this game, man. I, so I can see Scherzer for six, to be honest, that bullpen is really thin. Blake Trinan's been really good. We know that I have zero faith in Kenley Jansen. Yeah, I've got next to zero faith in Joe Kelly. Like it, this is really tough for me. I disagree. I disagree. Kenley Jansen, 2.22 ERA this year. Yeah. Trying in 199 ERA. I still have, I have faith okay. in them this year. Kenley Jansen's cutter looks unhittable right now. So trying in, in the eighth for sure. But like, how do you get there? If Scherzer can only go five, how can you get to trying in, in the eighth inning? And then I, Dave Roberts, who would, who would, who would cut Dave Roberts head off if he didn't put Jansen in for a save situation in the ninth inning? Like there would, would be top down anger within the Dodgers if Kenley Jansen wasn't on for a save in the ninth inning, I feel like. But like he was unusable at times in yeah. last postseason. I mean, the world series, he was terrible. They, they really didn't put him in that much. Yeah. I just don't, I don't know. I mean, he's been better as of late, 
I just one game playoff. I, it really depends on the spot. I think you ultimately have to go to them. You just kind of have to. Uh, but I also think that you got to look at Alex Vasia because they have a lot of confidence in Alex Vasia. And he talk about a dude like guy, uh, like we we're talking about with uh, Loisica, a dude that just has some gonads. Watch Vasia pitch, man. Like he's fiery. He'll go right at you. He has a lively fastball and he trusts the hell out of it. And his numbers against lefties are, are devastating. I could see them going to Vasia. Like th- this is a team that they're not afraid to go to those guys in big spots. I don't know if he's going to necessarily, the Scherzer that is, go more than five. We could see. Arias maybe in one inning of relief as well, because he'll still be good to go in game three of the series uh, coming up. If they win that, Uh, that would probably be my move. You go Urias with two innings and then maybe go with another lefty in Visia. Or if you're in a comfortable enough spot, go with Kenley. I think, you know, you'd say it's, it's thin in the bullpen, Jack, but I also think they have so many different options that they can go to. I think they find a way to make it work, especially with the starters, like, like, Peter said with Gonsolin and some of these other guys that in a one inning, two inning spot could be really solid. Pete, quick thought. We were talking about a lefty and Alex Vestia. How about a right-hander who they can put in after Julio Urias? Phil Bickford has been phenomenal this year. I mean, Phil Bickford, two five one ERA has the third most innings out of all relievers. If you're not counting like David Price, if you're just counting high leverage one inning guys, Kenley Jansen, Blake Trinan, then Phil Bickford. He's going to be a big X factor in that bullpen as well. Aram Urias on three days. Are you comfortable there? If he's only going one inning, maybe one and a third, and then you go to the righty once he gets that lefty, yeah, 100%. Urias has shown that he can do it. He is, for how young he is, has already proven so much in so many different spots. Um, I'm, I trust that guy like a vet. For how long Urias has been around, I mean, this guy has already been down, like has been on the downswing and has redeemed himself and become a 20-game winner. Like this guy has been through the ringer that a 35-year-old has been through. Is he 24? Is he, he just turned 20? Yeah, 25 years old, 20-game winner. He went 20-3 and three this year. I know nobody cares about wins, but that's got to say something. He's still winning the game. It's got to say something. He's so sick. Uh, picks, and then we'll move on to our five takeaways from this MLB regular season. Pete, you first. As a gambling man, I want to take the value on the Cardinals. Winner take all. You never know what's going to happen. My baseball mind is telling me don't do that because the Dodgers are going to. Gun to my head. I'm going with the Los Angeles Dodgers. But if you see me giving a not gambling advice, that's the Cardinals. It's because I looked into it a little bit deeper and I like the value just that much better. I'm with Pete hundred percent. I like, obviously if my life depended on it, I'm going with the Dodgers. It's the safest choice. But that being said, to get these kind of odds on a, on a winner take all game, it's baseball. Peter and I always talk about it. Like we'll, we'll look at some, we'll look at the board and there'll be a Rangers versus, you know, Yankees game where the Rangers are plus two seventy. Like, dude, it's baseball. Like anything in one game, anything can happen. So if, if you're getting those kind of odds in a winner take all, of course, I'm not going to lay down a big amount, but it's worth it. It's just there's too many way crazier things happen on a yearly basis in the postseason. Uh, I wouldn't bat an eye if the Cardinals won. So why are the odds reflecting as if it would be something absolutely absurd? Uh, you're also talking about a team that is one of the hottest teams in baseball right now. Um, and after they lost, they went back 
to winning again. So I, I think that they, they easily have a chance. These games are a coin flip, no matter who's playing. And I, I'm going Cardinals with the, with the percentages. Uh, but obviously the Dodgers are, are the favorite to win that game. And, and it would be surprising a little bit if the Cardinals won. I'm not even thinking about the odds. I'm going with the winner. The Dodgers have won 106 games this year. They are as talented, as loaded as any team in the last 20 years. And that's exactly why I'm going with the Cardinals. I just think there's no <laughs> shot that this all lines up for the Dodgers. I think the Cardinals have to win this game. Like it makes too much sense for the Dodgers to win. And that's why the Cards are going to win. And But that's why, that's why we're going to come back on our next episode and it's going to be the Red Sox versus the Dodgers. Probably, yes. Or not the Red Sox versus the Dodgers, but those will be the two winners. Uh, And I want to say one thing, too, on this, is we saw the the Giants and the Dodgers going all out, two 100 and 607 win teams, going all out to the final games of the season to try to avoid this wild card game. Why? Because they know damn well that anything can happen. And they, I promise you, these teams are as confident in themselves as anybody. I don't think the Giants are worried about themselves. I don't think the Dodgers are worried about themselves. They know that they're capable of winning a title. But why did they go all out? Because they know that anything can happen in a one-game winner-take-all, and that's why it was balls to the wall for both those teams to try to win the division. And the Giants really set themselves up nicely. The Dodgers... They're playing with fire. It's what it is. It's a coin flip. They're playing with fire and and they know it. And before we move on to the top five takeaways, Max Muncy is now most likely going to be out for the entire postseason Mm. and Clayton Kershaw as well. I don't know if he's going to come back. Those are two big blows. The Dodgers, Max Muncy, not in the middle of that lineup. Big blow. And they're still the odds on favorite to win the World Series. Yep. And a game decides their fate. Yep, that's how it works, huh? Uh, I was talking to my friend Dustin. Yankees and Dodgers, we always argue. They're in the same spot. Let's see who wins. Same spot. We'll see who wins. Okay, we're going with five takeaways. We didn't power rank them or anything. These are from the 162 Major League Baseball games that we saw all 30 teams play. And they're not necessarily individually focused. They could be. These are trends. These are observations that we had, and these are what we are going to take away whenever the final out of the World Series happens. We go to bed, we wake up the next day, and when we reminisce on the 2021 MLB season, this is what we're thinking about in regards to the regular season. We've each got five. Pete, you go first. My, I guess, yeah, we're not doing top five, but just a takeaway I had. The youth explosion in baseball has been incredible this year. Three of the top four players in WRC Plus are all 22 years old or younger. That's Juan Soto, that's Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and that's Fernando Tatis Jr. Ronald Cunha Jr. is 23 years old and was on his way to having a similar type season. Rafael Devers, we mentioned him is 24 and is one of the best young bats in all of baseball. Julio Urias is is the big's only 20-game winner at just 24. Brian Hayes led all third baseman in outs above average and defensive runs saved, and he's just 24. Kyle Tucker put up a top-10 offensive season, and he's just 24. And I got to end it with how Wander Franco is still just 20 years old and looks like a top-10 shortstop. The future is so bright for the day for the game of baseball. Aram, you next. My big thing, uh, there's a few. I I honestly don't even know which one I want to start with, but 
I want to start because this was something we really talked about a lot in the staff chat, but what I have written down is sometimes we can't explain things and that's okay. And as that really pertains to the Mariners, right? Because we look at the Mariners and everyone's asking me, you know, how are the Mariners doing this? How are the Mariners doing this? I don't know. Sometimes I have no idea. I dove at the numbers. I don't know. I, they, they saw a lot of pitches per at bat. They're grinders. They, people were like, oh, yeah, they come through in the clutch. Sure. But they were the lowest batting average team with runners in scoring position. You can't really explain it. Just because we can't explain it does not mean that it's invalidated. I think it's, there's an important line to draw here in, in a world where we want to be able to explain everything. It's human nature. We want to know why. Why, 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 how did this happen? Sometimes it's inexplainable. And I think that's an example. It happens all the time in baseball. For example, Brandon Crawford, I have no freaking clue. Like you look at his numbers, nothing has changed. His batted ball data is not that much different. Like there's not that much. His chase rates aren't different. Nothing has changed. He's just, something worked for him. Uh, For the Mariners, they just won games. So yes, is it a little bit weird that they won this many games? Uh, Yeah, maybe they won't do it next year. But I want to make it clear that in baseball, in a world where we always want to be able to explain things, it's okay to not be able to explain things and still say that Mariners team was a, what was it, 89 wins they finished with? They're an 89-win team. And just because we can't explain it doesn't mean they're any less of an 89-win team. This isn't Barry Bonds taking steroids, right, like where you put an asterisk next to it. Just because we can't explain it, there's no asterisk next to the 89 wins because their team FIP and their team war and their team other, other, all these stats that are very important and indicative of winning don't match up. Sometimes teams just win and the Mariners won and, you know, they didn't quite make it. Uh, but that's just my, my one example. I think there's a lot of different ways in baseball where we see that manifest itself. That was very poetic. Thank you. It was. That was congratulations, Aram kind of marrying your two where you've got this youth movement and some things just cannot be explained. You can't count vets out either. And I know that we're seeing this youth movement, but San Francisco with Posey Crawford belt. How about Yachty Molina and Adam Wainwright in St. Louis? How about Max Scherzer still doing what he's doing with LA? How about Sal Perez with 48 bombs and north of 110 runs driven in? Wade Miley having a great year and throwing a no-hitter. Young talent has rightfully taken over the game. But there's something about a 30-something that's been there. And they're studs. And Jack, my fourth takeaway is basically just to piggyback on that. And it's also kind of the opposite of the youth explosion is that you don't have to be young to win. The best record in baseball in 2021 is held by the San Francisco Giants at 107 and 55. The oldest group of position players in 2021, the San Francisco Giants, the average age is 30.6 years old. 14 Giants have gotten at least 250 plate appearances this season. 12 of them are in their 30s. And their five most productive offensive players, you named it, Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey, Evan Longoria, and Darren Ruff are all 33 years or older. I mean, you got to give Gabe Kapler a ton of credit here. He did a great job playing the right matchups and just managing their work, their workloads effectively. The San Francisco Giants, man, they killed it. They kept everyone fresh. I think that's a really good point. You know, I think if they were playing day in and day out, they would have ran into a wall. Absolutely. And- they weren't playing day in and day out. They played a lot, 
but they were able to manage things really well. I would, I am sure they had some comprehensive breakdown of the best way to offset everybody's off days. I'm sure it was some insane crap. It wasn't just like, Oh, you need a day off today. You're off. I think it was probably some crazy chart of like, Oh, when Posey's off, this guy's off, but this guy's on. Like, I don't even want to know what Farhan Zaidi put on over there, but it worked. Absolutely awesome. Love the Giants. Uh, my other takeaway is that two-way players are a detriment to your team. Look at look at what happened with Shohei Otani and the Angels. <laughs> look at what happened with the Marlins and Sandy Leone. Made six <laughs> appearances. It, it was just it didn't work. No, but actually, my my real takeaway is that patience is a virtue, and that ceilings are limitless. And this is a two for one because. A few things I want to point out here, especially when we had a short in 2020 uh, where we didn't really get to see a whole season play out. How many guys that previously kind of sucked or and that were formal, former top prospects that we, we were out on and then just blew up this year or guys that weren't even top prospects and just put it together this year and we're like, whoa, where did this guy come from? So many dudes. And we look at like the war leaders. I mean, guys in the top 30, like Brian Reynolds, somebody that, you know, nobody was really paying attention to after he, he was traded over from the Astros, just didn't really have that much going. He was putting up numbers, but not quite to the degree. Tyler O'Neill was terrible uh, through his first few stints in the big leagues, puts it together this year. How about like guys, for example, Cedric Mullins, he just stopped switch hitting and all of a sudden he's incredible. I, I think that that's something we were so quick to be out on prospects, Austin Riley. He was, ter- he was pretty bad last year. The year before that, he was shaky. Now he was one of the better hitters in the game this year. I really think it's really was. important to, to look at those things, right? Like there's guys, baseball is a sport where it's really hard to get acclimated and to get comfortable. And sometimes it takes a while. How about JP Crawford, former top prospect? The tools are there. There's guys that are top prospects for a reason. The tools are there, but sometimes they can't make those tools work. Sometimes it just takes some time. And J.P. Crawford made it happen. The other thing I hate is ceilings. Can we stop pretending like we know the limitations of individual humans? Uh, that, that is the most aggravating thing to me. If I, it, what, do you think Rob, what would you have said Robbie Ray's ceiling was two years ago? Not this. Point. Yeah, I don't know. We would have said middle of the rotation, best case. He's an ace. What would you have said, you know, even like a Cedric Mullins when he was even doing kind of well? What's his ceiling? What's, what's Nestor Cortez's ceiling? We would, said, we would have said we would have said middle reliever <laughs> right would. swing man yeah instead was a legitimate starter ranger suarez what's his ceiling uh, like, let's go alive. to fan graphs fan graphs would say back at or, or bottom of the barrel bullpen arm right why are we putting limitations on humans that can change things so fluidly and rapidly that's something that goes into the prospects bucket but also the big league bucket like i think you can say this is the most likely scenario if things work for him but i'm so tired of saying like this guy would never be better than this like i think we're smarter than that and i think that's something that needs to be made true in baseball now what was brian reynolds ceiling it was not perennial all-star because right now brian reynolds is looking like a top 20 player in the game yeah nobody had that as his 1000th percentile outcome and that's something to me it's like baseball is so you can't just predict it on athleticism like football or basketball, like there's so many factors and let's stop putting ceilings on guys, please. But don't relegate them to the bullpen. Don't relegate them to fourth outfielder. Stop it. That's just enough. This is the perfect segue here because I'm going to bridge right into athletic freaks. And then Pete's going to talk about the biggest freak of them all. Um, here's my other takeaway here. You say we can't put a ceiling on human ability. 
I say we have no idea what the capability of human ability is. There is no ceiling there. We don't know what people can do as human beings. If you're not a freak, you don't have a shot. I was just texting the Just Baseball group yesterday, but the Nats in game 162 ran out Patrick Murphy. Who the hell is Patrick Murphy? It turns out he's 6'5", he throws 99, and he has a hammer of a 12-6 breaking ball. You know, I was told, you were told, Pete, you were told that hard work and a can-do attitude can get you there. I just don't think that's the case anymore. I think these guys are exceptional human beings. They are built different with the purple devil emoji and then the emoji with the uh, the air shooting out of each nostril. Is Nestor Cortez a, a freak? Yes. Kind of. Is Ranger <laughs> is a freak. Suarez a freak? They kind are of. freaks. The, the, their body control, what they're able to do with their five foot 10, 200 pound they frames, they that. are a freak. The, both they of them are that. athletic freaks. They may not look like it, but they are. Bartolo is an athletic freak. Freaks. You, don't, you, want, you can't just do that. No, 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 God. There are millions of people who look like Nestor Cortez and Ranger Suarez. There are two people who can do what they do, and their names are Nestor Cortez and Ranger Suarez. I think there's a, I, I think that Jack, there's a lot of what he's saying. There's merit to it, but I do think that there's a level of, you can just like learn this. I think that there's, if, if you have a baseline, like Nestor Cortez through low eighties in high school, senior year of high school through low eighties, uh, and then just started to get to like the upper eighties. And I, I just think like, wh- what is he elite at controlling his body? You can teach that. That's not freakish to me. Controlling your body isn't freakish. That's, that's learned. Okay. But you and I know damn well, that 90 is really fucking hard to get to. And with that type of body control, with those type of secondary offerings, to build to 90 and still maintain all that and have the body control, that, that is cut out for a select few human beings on earth. And they all play Major League Baseball. Let's talk about the one human in baseball that can't be replicated. And in my opinion had the greatest season in MLB history. Not the most impressive, not the best of 2021, the greatest season of all time. Let's go over his hitting ranks in the MLB this year. WRC plus, fifth. Home runs, third. Stolen bases. He had 26 goddamn stolen bases. So stupid. He He finished eighth in baseball, fifth in OPS. How about pitching with a minimum of 130 innings? He was 23rd in ERA, 26th in FIP, 9th in strikeouts per nine, 9th, and 9th in opponent batting average against. And now let's get into some of the crazier stats I saw this year. Talk about a clutch gene. Otani leads AL hitters with a 468 on base percentage, a 686 slugging, and a 1.154 OPS with runners in scoring position. He also leads AL pitchers with a 122 opponent batting average with runners in scoring position. Oh my freaking God. Opponents just hit 087 off of his splitter. That's the lowest batting average for any pitch in baseball. And he's one of four pitchers to reach 100 miles an hour with 11 pitches this season. So he throws 100, and he has one of the nastiest breaking balls in all of baseball. He's the first player to have 10 home runs as a hitter and 100-plus strikeouts as a pitcher in the same season. He's the first 
with 20 stolen bases and 10 plus pitching appearances. He hit for himself in 20 of 23 starts. And on April 4th, probably the greatest game. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it because on April 4th, he threw three pitches over a hundred miles an hour. And he had a 451 foot home run that left the bat at 115 miles an hour. Now we're talking greatest season of all time, right? Barry Bonds in 2002 hit 73 home runs while hitting 328 and had a 235 WRC plus. I ask you, what was his ERA? Zero. Bob Gibson in 1968 had a 1.12 ERA over 34 starts and a 1.67 ERA in the World Series through three starts, and he struck out 35 hitters. He won the Cy Young that year, and he won the MVP. I ask you what his batting average was. I don't know what else to say. It's it's almost to me like you're taking, okay, let's say a quarterback through 40 touchdowns and on the other side has seven sacks and eight interceptions versus a guy who had 55 touchdowns thrown or Lawrence Taylor with 20 sacks or Dar- Darrell Revis with 20 interceptions. I don't know if those are the correct numbers, but it's like, yes, they had better individual seasons in those categories. Nobody in history has done it all. Shohei Otani had the greatest season in MLB history, and I'm obsessed with the man. Can I say one thing? Bob Gibson, by the way, hit 303 in 1970. That's kind of insane. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was just that year, though. Not that same year, though. No, Not no, that no. same year. No. But that, that, I just had to throw that out there because I wanted to look at how many like, at bats. Come on, let's let's like, not please. fuck with me. No, I know, no. He, so <laughs> he, he was he, honestly it was his only only insane offensive year. I mean, for a pitcher, he was great. Two hundred six, two forty three, three hundred one slash nine on the career, pretty solid. But for whatever reason, nineteen seventy, you've seen beach balls, thirty three hits and one hundred twenty four plate appearances. Uh, but in his MVP season, hit one seventy, so point stands. Uh, but I just thought that was kind of cool. Um, yeah, so. I have my last takeaway. Wait, before before we get into it, what do you guys think he had the greatest season of all time? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I yes. think when you when you when you break glass ceilings, when you set, like I, I think that this year is going to be looked at in the future as like the first one of the first players to break through in what I think may be done not often, but it's going to be done. I think it's going to be replicated in some facets. I, I always, I said this before when we were talking, you know, walking down the street, Peter, I was like, I wonder how many players were capable, not to Otani's level, but were capable of bringing value pitching and hitting that, you know, people just said, nah, he can't do it. I mean, people were saying, nah, Otani can't do it. Uh, and, and people were, are, were still saying it like two months ago. So it's like, I wonder how many people were pushed out of doing that. Okay. Aram, you and I have talked about it on this podcast. Um, I, it's not Hunter Green. He's not the next one. It's not Brendan McKay. The next guy to provide value on both sides, I think, is in the Cardinals system. Mason Wynn can be a bullpen arm that throws 100 miles an hour. He is also a really good shortstop that can hit 20 home runs. I think Mason Wynn is the next guy to provide value on both sides of baseball. And he's a, and he's a freak athlete. So like what Peter was talking about with the stolen bases and stuff, like, he can do that. Uh, I, I'm with you. I, I think that like... Now you look at a Mason win and you're like, eh, maybe we'll let him keep, we'll let him keep doing both a little bit. Uh, I think when, like we we're saying is more of a bullpen guy, but that's probably better anyways. I mean, not everybody has the, the physical capacity to do what Otani can do because he's so big. Uh, but yeah, I, I think because of that, he's a pioneer. I think he's going to change the way we look at some of these freak athletes and allow them to do more 
So for that reason, historically too, to me, it, it is the, the best season ever. My next takeaway is that we're fully enveloped by a new era of starting pitching. Corbin Burns is out here throwing 98 mile an hour backdoor cutters. Zach Wheeler, Brandon Woodruff, Garrett Cole, Walker Bueller. How about Sandy Alcantara? Aram, your guy. Frankie Montas, Peter, your guy. They're all sitting like 97 miles an hour. If you're not 97, kind of speaking to the freak thing, you're 94 with a wipeout slider, a disgusting splitter, or a Wainwright-esque curveball, or you are an outlier and you're so freaking good at it like Ranger Suarez or Nestor Cortez. Starting pitching is entirely different now than it was five years ago. And a guy like Kyle Hendricks, yes, he was among the win leaders. The guy got hit around the ballpark all the time. All the if time. you are not purely disgusting, you're out. You're totally phased out of this game. I, I think that's like fair. It. I think that's it fair. But sucks. What I do like, though, is that you still do have these Ranger Suarez's breaking through, and you still do have some of these guys breaking through. I do think that there's a level of emphasis on a new wave of pitchability that we're seeing from, like, the Logan Webbs and the Kevin Gossmans in San Francisco because San Francisco goes with some low-spin guys. Like, they have a whole different philosophy. I think it's always changing. As we but see the Reds part ways. 94 too. Like yeah, 94 is the new 94 sinkers. I know. It's just, I, I know it's it's still the new, but if you said that five years ago that some guys are 94 mile an hour sinkers and you're like, yeah, he's a he's a pitchability guy. He's more relies on command. You'd be like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But even like Chris Flexen, like how many strikeouts per 90 mean Chris Flexen's averaging? Seven. Jack? Six. 6.26. Nice. Mm. I win. You win. But he works. His FIP's not bad. His ERA is good. Like he's solid. Top, top 30 pitcher in war. Like so, so I, I do agree a hundred percent, but I do still have the level of, of belief that there's those guys that'll that could still break through. But like like Jack said, you gotta be damn good. You gotta be damn good. And you gotta locate and you gotta be close to like Greg Maddox would dominate today, right? Like <laughs> you gotta be a freak show though. And uh we got some freak shows there uh, on both sides of it, of like athleticism wise and command wise. Pete, was it you or me for the next one? You. You. Awesome. So my next one is, can we stop punching inanimate objects? <laughs> I, you're, you're never going to win that. And I look at the postseason picture here and it's heavily affected. Devin Williams, obviously, you guys have talked about this. Uh, I, I was pissed because I really wanted to, to, to go on on this, but I was really happy you guys got to it, and I enjoyed hearing the, the breakdown. But how about Oscar Inoa? Oscar Inoa was rolling and looking like a legitimate front-of-the-rotation type of option. I think he would have slowed down naturally a little bit too, still needs to find that third pitch, blah, blah, blah. But he has not had enough time to get going again since returning from his hand being broken because he lost a fight with the bench. Now he's not going to be the game three pitcher. It's going to be Ian Anderson who pitches game three. He might have pitched game three anyways, but you have much less confidence in Hoss Green Noah if you're the Braves, because since he's come back, he hasn't fully recaptured that form. That's two big arms in this postseason that have punched inanimate objects and it affected them. I'm not going to get into the punching other humans thing because that's also really affected this playoff picture. And that's also really messed up. And that's a problem across many sports. Uh, but baseball has a weird punching objects problem too. And uh, take some notes, guys. You're, you're not winning. Like, I, I don't know who, like when you see the wall and you're ready to swing, what do you think is going to happen? 
You think you're going to be the first dude to ever punch through a brick wall? First dude to ever destroy through a dugout bench? That's all I got on that one. The wall never wins. Always wins. Always The wins. wall always wins. And speaking people about- people are listening right now ready to like go away on a Yeah, wall. the wall never wins. The wall Peter, always wins. you made wins. me break my hand. <laughs> it's not punching advice. It's not punching advice. And talking more about injuries, the difference, my next takeaway, the difference between 60 and 162 games is a lot. Injuries hurt a lot of stars in baseball this year. These guys didn't punch walls, but they still got injured. Jacob deGrom, Mike Trout, Shane Bieber, Ron Acuna Jr., Anthony Rendon, Dustin May, Kenta Maeda is now out for the year. Luke Voigt has been dealing with injuries all year. Tyler Glass now with the elbow injury. Steven Strasburg barely pitched. And I can go way longer. Yeah, we could I mean, do a two-hour episode on that. <laughs> seriously could. I'm not even counting players who landed on the COVID-19 IL this year. The number of player placements on injured lists around baseball was up by about 37% compared with each of the previous two full seasons, 2019 and 2018. Reoccurring injuries were also an enormous issue. Heading into the final weekend of the season, there was 216 different players that made multiple visits to the non-COVID-19 IL this season. In the last full season, back in 2019, it was just 130 once, almost doubled. 848 pitchers made an appearance this year. 646 made an appearance in the 2011 season. So almost 200 more pitchers per season since 2011. A lot of injuries hurt a lot of the big stars in today's game. Soft tissue obliques, right? Hammies, yep. quads, yep. nagging things. It's what happens when you try and ramp up from zero to 100 or 60 to 162. Yeah, it just sucks. Quick, Looking back at really all the injuries, all the guys who we could have seen, Ronald Acuna, what would the Nationals have been if Steven Strasburg was at his healthiest? I mean, we're talking about the Mets and DeGrom, the Angels and Shohei. What if Trout was there? I mean, Shane Bieber, Indians were at least fighting. If Bieber's there the whole year, is there another story? A lot of teams didn't get their full due because their stars were out. Yeah, two, two quick thoughts on that. That's something I talked about early in the year with, with Jeff Conine, you know, on Outside the Box. And he said, you really don't realize, like most of these guys that have been in the league for several years now, like they have their system. And going from the 60 to 162, uh, the I think the biggest effect too, and this was something I talked about with Anthony Rizzo, and it was really cool to get his thoughts on this because when I, when I had spoken to him, he didn't know when they were reporting yet. And he's like, man, like we got to know soon because I have my whole system. Like I start usually this many days out and I do this and then I get into this and then I get into this and every player is different. But he was saying like, man, this could be ugly this year because everybody has their system and their bodies are acclimated to that. I've been doing this for more than a decade now. Like my body only knows this. Fortunately, Rizzo didn't really get hurt or anything uh, severely, but a lot of players did. And Rizzo was spot on. And, and it was funny, circling back with Jeff a few months later, said the same thing. Um, and, and I think that's part of it was a little bit of the indecision from Major League, which is an understandable indecision and nothing. We didn't know what was going on in the world. But that indecision of like when we were going to start spring training and then get into things, it really set players up in a weird spot. And uh, 
unfortunately, really, you know, hopefully we'll go back to next year and injuries will kind of temper back down a little bit. I mean, that, that's, that's the hope. Yeah, we're already taking too much of people's time on wild card days. So I've got two more. We each have one more after that. It, we'll do rapid fire finish here. Um, my second to last takeaway is there's almost a direct correlation between spending money and winning baseball games. And that has been the idea forever. And that only reigns more true this year. There are some outliers like Tampa and Milwaukee on the positive end, but for the most part, the higher the payroll, the more wins you will accrue. Unless your last name is Neander or Stearns, there is no outsmarting the system. Those guys are just smarter than everybody else. And if you want to visually palette this, Danny Vietti, who's a producer for CBS Sports, put out a great scatter plot yesterday. I mean, it is linear a linear correlation between spending money and winning baseball games. So you look at Baltimore, you look at other teams on the low end of that spectrum. They're not winning. Say it, Jack. They don't... What? Say it. Marlin, say it. I know Marlins. you want to. Yeah. yeah, the Marlins are not winning because they don't spend money, Aram. There you go. I didn't know that. Uh, it's only 15 years of misery. Maybe more, actually. Oh, that's my big takeaway. All right. Uh, Aram, you're next. And then yeah, after real that, quick, we'll roll. defense wins championships. Uh, that, that, that to me, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of a lost aspect of the game. And I think we've really seen how much it matters and how much it can be a difference maker uh, for teams. You know, you're not going to be able to answer everything all the time. Uh, and especially if you have some inconsistent pitching, like the Cardinals. I was looking at the Cardinals, like, how are they staying in ball games? How are they making all of this work? Well above the league average in outs above average and well above, or actually way ahead in first place. There are eight defensive run saves, I believe, last time I checked. I think it's now 12 by the end of the season, uh, ahead of the next most in baseball. When it comes to outs above average, 53 outs above average. The next most was the Astros at 41. So 12 outs above average better. So that's a way you compensate for you know a mediocre pitching staff, really, which is what the Cardinals had. Uh, Astros, same thing. Their pitching is not that great, uh, especially in the bullpen, relatively average, maybe below average but they get outs because not a lot of balls fly in the outfield and they don't give you a second chance. You look at the top five or six teams and outs above average, the Rangers are in there at three. They just suck. So it's fine. But you get the Rays at four and the giants at six. Those are all teams that were consistently good this year. And the giants, they were great pitching wise. Uh, but you look overall, these are teams that, you know, didn't, absolutely dominate on the pitching side and we're able to save a lot of runs with their defense. And I think that's something that, you know, has been lost in baseball a little bit and the teams that are doing well, despite not having as much star power are the ones that are defending well. I love that you mentioned that. Cause that was a big downfall to Phillies. I mean, the Phillies are terrible defensively ergo. They're not that good. They're just not they're that no talented, one. but they've really had the problem defensively. My last takeaway is that nobody's putting the ball in play anymore. Yuli Gurriel won the batting title in the American League at 319, but it was the lowest since Tony Gwynn won it, hit 313 in 1988. I mean, Justin Morneau won it in 2014, and Terry Pendleton won it in 1991, also hitting 319. But the league batting average this year was 244. That's the lowest since 1968. The average team hit 5.1 singles per game. That's the fewest total number of singles in a full season. Due to this, we saw overlapping effects in other instances in baseball. We saw the lowest rate of double plays. We saw the lowest rate of stolen bases since 1967. Batting average on balls in play was the lowest since 1922 because everyone's hitting the ball in the air. 
And we also had the a lowest in the past decade of average numbers of errors per game. Not to say that everyone's getting better defensively. It's just the ball is simply not being put in play. I mean, a lot of this can be attributed to shifting. And overall, nobody is putting the ball in play. Not a single player had 200 hits this season. Trey Turner led all of baseball with 195 hits. Nobody cares about putting the ball on the ground. Everyone hates to, uh, Tim Anderson and his high Babbitt. Yeah, everybody hates it. Here's my final takeaway, because we bitch about this sport all the time. Three times a week, we tell you exactly what's wrong with this sport. This is the best damn sport in the world. No other professional sporting environment allows a city or a fan base to ride this romantic, emotional high on the sport alone, like what baseball just did for St. Louis over the last couple of weeks, or Seattle for the last week and a half, or Boston with that Devers homer, or how about Chicago, my White Sox fan base with the Tim Anderson home run in Dyersville, Iowa. You cannot beat the full visceral investment into baseball and i cannot fucking wait for this postseason to get rolling tonight red sox yankees in a wild card game jesus christ and you can follow us on youtube and you can watch our full podcast episode at just baseball media be sure to go give us a follow on tiktok and instagram at just baseball fans go give us a follow on twitter at just bb media that's Arm Layton 8 on Twitter. That's Jack underscore McMullen 11. And I am at Peter Apple 23. We will be typing along in the Discord, giving you all of our information. So feel free to go join our Discord. Uh, Twitch.tv slash just baseball fans. Catch us on Wednesdays and Fridays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern playing MLB The Show and going over all of the playoff games. Gentlemen, anything else before we bid our listeners do 11 followers to a thousand on twitter help us get there i'm going to be doing a giveaway giving away a dalton var show autographed rookie card on there so uh keep an eye out for that all three of us have the yankees to win the al wild card nl wild card those two have the dodgers i've got the cardinals they love i don't know the if value. i have the dodgers i don't they know love- i haven't made my pick yet you'll see it on wednesday's not gambling advice episode. <sighs> okay all right uh pete thank you everybody 